Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29 of Peach Troops podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis. We're recording on a Thursday night sandwiched in between a loss to the Chicago Bulls at the buzzer and an upcoming thriller with the Detroit Pistons in sub-zero temperature or something close to it as uh, Atlanta and the rest of the country goes through a deep freeze. How are you, Glenn? I'm good, Kevin, and uh, I know that you are appreciative that I was willing to take a break from posting videos on Twitter <laughs> of plays from the last Hawks game, and I, and I want you to know that similarly, I'm appreciative that you took a break from looking at my great tweets that have videos from the last Hawks game. So, you know, glad we could carve out some time from from all of that to have, have a conversation here for this episode. That's a good point. Your fingers are probably tired from all that. <laughs> uh, Holding up. We need to discuss the change in leadership at one, at some point here, but let, let, let's start with the Bulls game. Okay. Uh, what were your takeaways from that game? Uh, just a terrible defensive start um, you know, that kind of put them in a hole. Um, and that reminded me of the Orlando game, that 50-point first quarter. In that game, they really looked like they weren't – and that game it looked like they really weren't taking their opponent that seriously, I think. That's how it looked. I don't want to say that's where their heads were and things like that. But in this game, you know, I, I shared game planning to defend both Zach Levine and Amar DeRozan as a, as a lot. There's a lot of detailed planning that kind of goes into that. Um, and, and it looks like they kind of had some – some basics that they had deployed and and in the process of trying to execute those basics, they forgot protect the paint, protect the rim, (laughs) rebound the basketball, you know? And so in the first half, it was, uh, it was pretty rough to their credit. They played a great uh, half defensively, you know, after halftime, got some things fixed, shorten the rotation, et cetera. But, um, you know, the Bulls made shots when at the most important part of the game, and the Hawks came up a few points short. So, I thought, I mean, I liked their the way they fought back. Uh, you know, Dejounte was terrible offensively in the first half, and I, I liked that he came back and was really resilient himself. So it's one of the strange. It's like it's one of the, it was a real heartbreaker of a loss. You know, DeAndre played such great defense on that last possession. They couldn't get that rebound. They didn't box out. You know, and it's such a heartbreaker. But there were also so many positives, like. The defensive adjustment, getting things fixed, shortening the rotation, DeJounte coming back, uh, not being so reliant on Trey offensively the second half. There were like there were like a million positives, but the result was kind of a heartbreaker. So that's kind of my uh not so concise summary. Did you like the decision to start Collins and Akongwu together? Um I, yeah, I think I did. Um I, I thought it was fine. I, I I think that they needed some size to deal with Vooch. I I think if it was just Collins or just a Kongu against Vooch and then dealing with Drummond too in those minutes, it's that's a lot. I mean, Vooch, I know people think of Vooch as being kind of a finesse big, and offensively he kind of is. He, he mostly operates on the perimeter, but he's a big dude and he's a serious rebounder. Um, and he'll and he you know he he throws himself around more than I think one would think, you know, uh, in that sense. I, I think they need that size. So I, I thought that was a fine approach. They kind of ran out of minutes in the second half because they couldn't play Frank Kaminsky in the second half. So John got to his 20-minute limit and ended up with, I think, with 21, just a few seconds shy of 22. 
and Kongu played a million. So, you know, so, um, but they were just trying to survive in the second half and, and just squeezing, you know, whatever minutes they could. So I thought, I thought that decision was fine. What, what about you? I, it's okay. Okay. But you have to have a contingency plan. I was offended by the lineup that they rolled out to end this first quarter. <laughs> uh, this would have been like the last two, three minutes. They went with a lineup of Aaron Holiday, Trey Young, AJ Griffin, uh, power forward Bogdan Bogdanovich, and Frank Kaminsky. And that was not good. Like, they didn't get stops, but if they did get a stop, they didn't get a rebound. Like, I, I'm pretty sure, like, whatever three-minute stretch that was, I I don't think they pulled a defensive rebound in the entire thing. Maybe one. Uh, maybe maybe Jalen helps there. You know, I think Jalen entered, what, the second quarter? I yeah, think. he came in to, to start it's the just, second it's quarter. It's just kind of typical, kind of typical, right? Um, but it was funny because when I went back and watched the early second quarter today, it was like, I wanted to like like stop the game, like reach through my laptop. I mean, it wasn't yeah, it wasn't better with with Jalen. I mean, no, it, I mean, this, I wanted to stop the game until Jalen like you're on the court with Frank, like you've got to be the first one back in transition defense. Like and he was like chasing an offensive rebound. He kind of he had no shot to get, trying to maybe get a steal in the backcourt. And and he's on with Clint. He can kind of maybe freelance a little bit. Got to get away with a, some youthful kind of uh, curiosities of the right. day. Well, he's not with Frank. He's got to get back and help, you know, help get some presence in the paint in the in the, in the rim. And that and that's where I thought once once it got into the second quarter, I thought it was a transition defense that was really brutal uh, in that sense. So yeah, it was, that was rough. But I mean, so I, I, and I, it was kind of you when I said best on Twitter during the game, best management of the rotation I think we've seen this year. And you and you kind of poke fun at it, and you're poking fun at it kind of made sense because it was so bad <laughs> in the first half. To your point, there was like really no contingency that was evident there, and that, and things uh, made it know. worse. Like Collins got in foul trouble, which you know could have happened. A Kongu could have gotten in foul trouble, right. and that's going to hamstring it. But woof, that was. was that was rough. Like that, that was a big contributor to the whole. Was just those bench lineups got buzzed. Yeah, yeah, and that, and that's where, you know, kind of, kind of all goes back to the tax, right? But not <laughs> having it, not having a third power forward that can uh, step in and spot duty and give you some, you know, minutes at center. I mean, it, it's a killer. They don't, they don't have anybody behind. You know, Jalen's pretty inexperienced. And as we and that showed up uh, in a few areas in the game, that's why he didn't play in the second half. Um, but man, if they had one more body, you know, at the four or five, that was an option. That's you know, I mean, the, the Bulls put really pushed the pace a lot. I mean, generally and in the half court, they run a lot of quick, decisive actions. Just not a great matchup for Frank. And so, if you if you had someone else there that could could play there, then you know, it would help. What did you think of the final play? Um, the non-rebound play. Yeah, play? yeah. I thought. I don't play. I mean, I, they looked prepared. Like 
I, you know, it's kind of funny because like when I was watching the third and fourth quarter, I was like, man, looks like DeAndre's not happy with some of these switches. But then when I saw a sequence of plays, I was like, oh, they're they're definitely the plan is definitely to switch here. Right. I think DeAndre just wanted to take responsibility for Demar. On that play, no switch. Uh, it's kind of funny. I don't know if you saw the the game winner Shea had earlier in the week against Portland. Um, exact same play, basically, where like Shea came up, set a screen. The point of the screen wasn't really anything other than to hide him for a brief second. Then he um, hopped out to that near side corner, right, mm-hmm. and got a shot down on the baseline. Same thing. Demar Derozan came up, set a screen, went to that near side corner, and I thought Hunter played like A plus defense there. Yep. I, I I my guess is that the other like John was fighting for like crazy for position. Right. And nobody else really seemed interested in rebounding. I I my guess is everyone assumed that DeMar was going to draw iron and then there was gonna be no time, you know, that a right. rebound would be inconsequential. This time would run out. That's not what happened. Airball happened. I know a lot of fans on Twitter like were angry at John. You know, I, I I've played enough basketball to know that a low rebound off of an air ball when you're on the blind side of the rim, the backboard right. is next to impossible. And he made it look kind of worse because he actually managed from instinct to get his hands on it. You know, so it's like if he if he didn't get his hands on it, probably would have not been people. Not, but box out. You know, don't don't take. You know, um, that reminded me of the Horford play against the Wizard when he ran by. I swear that Wizards had eight players on the court on that play in the playoff <laughs> game, and he ran by all of them, got the rebound, and put it back. You know, and it's like it's not good. You know, it's not good. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, but lots of positives. Lots of positives. Okay. For me, for lots me. of positive. What about uh, Anyeka Kongwu? What, what did you think of his uh, performance? I mean, it, it felt was like great. they needed a lot from him. Best best game of the year, I think. You know, um, you know, I'm on the rewatch. Like he was all over the place. He was decisive on calling switches. He was decisive on routing his teammates back to a different area of the court or to another man. He was, his communication was excellent. His organization was excellent. And, you know, I had said this on Twitter that John was their organizer in the third quarter. And then when they, when John went off, it was kind of Hunter. And I didn't realize until the rewatch of the fourth quarter, how much Anyeka, Anyeka was like really stepped up and organized them a lot um, in the fourth quarter. Did great, you know, and an offense that pass he had was phenomenal. Um, you know, active. I, I I thought he I thought it was the best game of the year. Yeah. Um, the people were upset that AJ Griffin uh didn't play the final six minutes or so. Uh, yeah. Nate said today that you know part of the reason he came out was he played twelve minutes in a row, so it was time for for him to get a blow. Uh, should I mean I I'm guessing that that makes sense that you would take somebody else. You would take somebody out after twelve consecutive minutes. Should he have, should he have come back in? Do you think? But so I, I have two thoughts on this. One one is he put Hunter in, and I understand the instinct to get the guy who is designed to defend DeRozan, right? Like mm-hmm. in the middle of the fourth quarter, right? I have no problem putting Hunter back in. Um, for me, it's not so much about AJ coming off in isolation. For me, it's really more about at that point in the game or 
I, I felt like that the group that was on was clicking, pushing the pace, making shots, uh, spacing the floor, had really, really good rhythm. And I and I, I think maybe the right thing to do is just to let that group stay on for another minute or two and see if they could use that momentum to push and get some real separation. So it, it wasn't so much that I think it was bad to take AJ out, put Hunter, take AJ out, put Hunter on. I think it was just, I think, I think it would have just been interesting if he just left them on a little longer. But I, I feel like I can't be too critical of Nate because it's a close game. DeAndre did the best job of anyone by a lot on DeMar. Um, and especially you don't have JC at that point. You feel like you can't put JC back out there. You really got to get Hunter on. So I, I understand Nate's approach. And, um, but, you know, AJ made all three of his three pointers in the first half of the fourth quarter and really had really good rhythm, was moving well, looked really, really confident. So I think getting him back out there would have made some sense, you know. But do you take DeJounte off? Do you take Bogey off? I think you take Bogey, Bogey off. Bogey played 15 consecutive minutes to finish the game, which for somebody in his position, that's probably not great. Like you could get him a, a one or two minute blow, I would think. Yeah. And and I you know I don't mean to keep harping on this like I I get that Bogey gives you things on defense if you if you see Glenn's videos on Twitter like Bogey is smart Bogey is like getting people square on defense and and you want to trust him in you know those exchanges that come with screens and picks I wouldn't have him out there for a defense only possession I still think that's bad process and I think it it kind of bit them on the box out. Like he's the one who whiffed, <laughs> and, and 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 to your further to your point, AJ rebounded well in this game. He really he came back and helped rebound. He was on point. He was attentive. Um, and further, I think in the first half, AJ looked a little unsteady defensively, but he was on with some bad lineups, you know. Right. In the in the third quarter, right, like that stretches. He really like locked in on defense, and he understood. Like there were several like pistol possessions where the Bulls loved to pull DeRozan out of the left corner into pistol, and kind of use that second screen as a quasi kind of DHO slash pick and roll and kind of get. And he, I mean, AJ was calling it, seeing it, reading it, executing the the red scheme with all the switching that's gone on out there. And I thought defensively he was really really good in the second half. Um, and I, I to the point I think he was trustworthy. You know, so. It, in, in terms of like what Nate put out there, when he put it out there, I don't have a massive issue with that. I, but I do think AJ was the the better move, um, at least to get him back on. Even if you're just giving Bogey two minutes of breather, you know, before you might put him back down for an office with us in the game, you know, and things like that. So I, I think AJ needed to play more down the stretch. Uh, I think he was in a rhythm. I think he had proven he had the defensive scheme down and I think that would have been the right move. You know, I jumped on a spaces after the game with some Hawks fans and said there, I thought pulling AJ off and not putting him back on was the biggest mistake Nate made in the game. You know, after talking to you, I'm like, well, maybe the biggest mistake was the rotation plan in the first half. <laughs> that was probably a bigger, um, you know, um, self bigger act of self and, it was damaged, you know, because that, that helped them dig a pretty big hole. So, yeah, let's put AJ back out there. Uh, anything else from the Bulls game that just, I don't like, think stood so. out to you? That 
Uh, no, it's good to see DeJounte kind of coming back and being aggressive. And it was good to see JC and Congo organizing them without Clint. Um, so, like I said, there's just so many positives. And we're going to talk about some other stuff going on around the team, within the team. I don't know um, exactly how to characterize it. But, you know, if they can get Clint back and DeJounte can get back to being as aggressive he was earlier in the year, they can get that level of defensive play from Clint, JC. And I think this team, like, from that standpoint, could still win a lot of games this year. So, yeah, actually, one I would one thing I wanted to add from the bull games. I almost forgot it, but you said that you said the the name Dejounte and it struck a chord, which is that Dejounte was bad in the first half, but Horrible. but part of the reason Trey got going from three, which you know it's like a week long trend now or so. Like we've got three or four games of him him shooting well, but like. Part of the reason he got going from three in this game was that he was playing off DeJounte finally. Like, DeJounte didn't do anything special. It wouldn't leap off the screen. But just him playing on one side of the floor, doing literally anything, and then just saying, oh, Trey's over there. I can get the ball to him. Like, that got Trey some easy catch-and-shoot looks that, you know, that that kind of propelled him. Like, most of the... Most of everything else in the first half from DeJounte wasn't good, but it, like it was just stupid, basic, simple stuff. And like Trey relocated a little bit. DeJounte just made the easy pass. And it's like, like it doesn't have to be that hard. If you just do some of that, that's going to go a long way. Yeah, I t- totally agree. It's more about being intentional than it is about doing something sophisticated, right? It can be simple, but simple can be really good if you're intentional about like these things are going to help us. So we're going to do them. And I agree with you. Like they, they showed some more connectivity between the two of them. DeJounte bought into helping to taking advantage of what the opportunity kind of trade was giving him being a little bit more purposeful uh, when he was off the ball, you know? Um, so more, more of that would help. So, you know, I know, I know, I know DeJounte talked a little bit about that t- today. I think it was and his availability, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, so it seems to be on DeJounte's mind from his comments today. Yeah. It almost, you know, I think we have a tendency to bash Trey, but it's almost like now we need to see a little bit more of that, I think, in the reverse direction. When Trey has the ball, what can DeJounte do? You know, what's the simple play that, that if Trey has it, DeJounte relocates, you know, and does something like they, I think he can do a better job too. Like, it's it's not all on Trey to do stuff off the ball when when Dejounte has it. They both have it a fair amount, and they got to keep working on it. To facilitate that, would you, for a while, stagger them less, give them more time together, and use AJ and Bogey on together with like Aaron and and run a lot of, a lot of the offense through Bogey, or you know, I mean, it, it, I I would probably do that, but not even just like in isolation, but because you have a Kong Wu and maybe to a lesser degree Kaminsky. And because you have Aaron holiday and you have these pieces that would kind of fit with that. Like if you staggered them less, you, you, you could run some of those uh, lineups. They're almost like zero point guard lineups, but you're just doing dribble handoff stuff. You're, you're playing through a Kong Wu more. You're you've got, finally you've got your two sort of best off ball movers, off ball shooters together. And that just, that that can kind of go a long way, and you'd have the point guard defense with Holiday to kind of click it together along with some some shooting from Holiday. Yeah, I find that interesting too. 
I, yeah, I, I think that would be interesting for three, four, or five games and kind of see if they can get a little more juice from DeJounte and Trey if they're on the court together more. Because they basically have the first quarter uh, until DeJounte goes to the bench and then the fourth quarter when they're both back on. And that's about it. There's not much overlap apart from those two stretches, you know. Oh, I guess the end of the second quarter, you know, in the beginning of the third quarter, but they have, um, you know, that feels like that goes fast, you know, by the time the trade's back on, you know, in, in the second quarter. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if they get a little bit more out of that. If everybody's healthy, it seems like. You're also, you know, uh, oh, sorry. You're also creating a little bit more of a role for Jalen there. Like, he's just, he's yep. dying and, for more touches, dying for more rebound and push without having to give it up. Like, it, it, it could kind of work if if you can craft Agreed. the defense. You, you you're going to need more stops. So like you know when I mentioned Kaminsky, that's I don't think it really works that way. I think you need more stops. You need to have more tempo. But you know with Anyeka, it could work. I think I don't I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think so too. And then you could play more through Anyeka, which I like that. I like that idea. I think I think part of his development and getting immediate results. I think, you know, like that one pass he showed, he could make four or five of those a game, in my opinion, and maybe maybe more, but kind of get him to that level where you're running some of that elbow series that they run or that delay series that they'll show now and then, mm-hmm. um, and which is the stuff that kind of opens up, you know, the passing that he can offer that like Clint doesn't have. Frank has it too, though. They run it for Frank when he, the, what little bit he's played this year, they run that a lot for Frank, especially they build ATOs around Frank's passing capability. You know, and every time I see Frank do it, I'm like, man, I wish we could see more investment in the NECA around that. And that might, if, they, if they're going to have, I don't know, three, four minutes a half with no train, no DeJounte, it seems like that might be part of the offensive solution. Maybe we need Frank as a late game inbounder. We, we, I, I. Why not? I, I take Frank to task, but you know, like he's he's shown that he could pass. I, I believe in Absolutely. him as a passer. You're not going to leave him wide open. You like the inbounder could be dangerous if you're not careful, and you it's somebody that can shoot. Like, yeah, uh, I, I wouldn't hate them messing around with that. It seems like something that they haven't been particularly particularly good at. So people get so mad when they have make trade the inbound passer and late in the game. They get so mad. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that unusual. I, it, it's not that unusual for, like Chris Paul has been done that like his whole career, you know. Right. So they're the same size. So, um, better than last year. So Travis Schlenk. <laughs> Travis Schlenk. Uh, he's moved on to be a senior advisor. Um, I think that's uh, legalese for. He gets to continue to stay employed and uh, receive compensation. Uh, yeah. Um, what, what do you think of the Schlank tenure in its entirety? I think it, it was more good than bad. I think. Um, I think. It, I, I think people might forget how tricky it was coming back from. Like Bud was unhappy on his way out, it, you know. Bud had both jobs, and then kind of was told to give up, a, you know, a little bit more of that front office to Wes, and you know, and did that really happen? Did that not really, <laughs> really happen? And then Bud and Tony seemed to kind of butt heads, you know. I think about kind of 
the direction, um, rebuild, don't rebuild, you know, uh, how good or how bad are things. It, it, it's kind of funny because it was like, it seemed like Buzz, Bud wanted to press ahead with the Dwight, you know, and we were all like, you know, dying with thousands of paper cuts watching, watching that team play. You know, it was rough. Watching Paul Mills that play with Dwight was, for me, just a painful, uh, a painful thing. The just a such a variance in styles and personalities and and all that sort of stuff. I'm not a Dwight hater, but it was just like a weird fit. But you know, so it, it took it took someone who could kind of come with some credibility from their last job, their last organization, and Travis had that coming from Golden State. You know, and um, I thought his first draft getting JC like what a great what a absolutely great, you know, result there. Like two weeks in. <laughs> I know. It, it was um, weeks. It wasn't months. Like he was on and that was a pick. Yeah. And so I, you know, and I, I know people were like, oh, they were paid to get the hunter pick and which I think that's true, you know, but there's also the philosophy around go get the guy you want, you know? Right. And, and, the, and the, uh, the, I feel like you, you look at those picks on paper, but that was also a weak draft. So like, the draft was going to get thin really quickly. And I think it did. It did for sure. So, I mean, I thought he did a lot of good work uh, around the draft. Um, You know, I asked myself, like, would there have been more of an impact for second round picks if the organization was actually interested in spending money on second round picks instead of turning that into cash, you know? Um, And with this season, it's like, what would Travis have done if they could have gone into the tax sum? You know, or, or and, and and you and I both know, like you can go, you can start the season uh, over the tax and get back under it. You know, and so it, it just, you know, it, it feels like I don't, I don't know anything, and I don't know how much you might be able to confirm or not or whatever. I'm just talking about how it, me, how, the way I connect the dots is, it seems like Travis was kind of limited by ownership, um, and it makes me wonder like how much of the plan that we've seen put together and managed over time, how much of that was what Travis really wanted to do versus how much of that was um, Travis only getting to do some of the things he'd want to do, but being kind of uh, limited or managed a, a lot by ownership. And and I, and I should say, like, it's not like the Hawks, you know, are the only team that has ownership invested in big decisions. Every NBA franchise has that, right. you know, to a different degree, right? So it's not unusual, but... But for me, it's I guess that's my way of saying it's hard for me to kind of know how to grade Travis in a vacuum. Um because it just it seems like um it's hard to separate kind of what his plan was from what kind of the broader management team's plan was, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean I don't think it's unusual, like you were saying, for management to and or sorry for for ownership to really get into the management picture uh when it comes to the top of the draft so i think there was a lot of input there on the tray pick yep um and so that's not unusual but that's also <laughs> a, a central core piece um and you know i think looking to the back end like i think travis got to do a lot of the things that he wanted to do uh, i think he had a lot of control and a lot of the decisions were just his decisions, but at the same time, you know, at the end, like now or this season, um, you know, when it comes to the, the tax, that 
you know, part of the reason he was bumping up against the taxes that maybe he overpaid Collins a little bit, maybe he overpaid on, you know, things like that. So, the, you know, he, you know, he's partly responsible for that, but I thought he did a remarkable job drafting. Like, yeah. And, and I, I think maybe, uh, you know, not so centrally visible to us all the time, but one of the things he is best at was like, when he was like, okay, we're, we don't want Torian's next contract. He turned Torian into something real. Like, you know, it wasn't like he had to like find a, a place to like give him away, like the like Detroit did with Jeremy Grant. You know, same thing with Cam. Like, he turned that into an asset. You know, and so you know he had, I think, good instinct around timing with kind of with moves uh, around that. You know, okay, we're not this guy's not in our future plans. How can I kind kind of make sure I'm not in the standpoint where i'm letting a guy walk for nothing or getting like only like a modest second rounder back you got you know real assets there i also think he capitalized on the opportunity to get clint capella which was absolutely massive and really positive <laughs> for the organization and it wasn't like a massive cost there either i mean that was that was sort of an opportunity to kind of jump in and do something real and um the hawks don't kind of even come close to making that run to the eastern conference finals without clint you know be, being you know uh, part of the team there so i mean so there, a lot of good you know um people will joke that he's been bad at trades that the kind of the value proposition and if you kind of compare it to like all the other deals that happen in the league you can kind of see like you know it, it kind of maybe looks like he overpaid in some cases i i don't think that was true in the clint deal at all i think no. i think that that was a huge value um but it's sort of like i mean when the, he wanted a hunter i mean i said the night before the draft and it looks like the Timberwolves and Hawks are in a bidding war to jump up to four, you know, and Timberwolves walked away with Jarrett Culver, you know, who's on a two-way with the Hawks now, coincidentally. Um, I'd rather have DeAndre Hunter than Jarrett Culver, obviously, but that's kind of the way it looked like it was going to, you know, kind of shake out. And, you know, and people have certain thoughts around Luca versus Trey and, you know, Luca you know, get, gets a lot more publicity and is viewed as, a guy who's for sure going to win MVP one day. And I'll, and I'll still say like, Luke is super talented and fun to watch people, but people who want to harp on Trey's kind of habits around not moving and not being useful after he gives the ball. Luca has all the same habits to the same right. level, if not a little bit more, you know? And so Luca's got some stuff to work out if he wants to actually be a guy who can be the best player on an actual team. He's got a lot of room to grow, um, before he gets there, so people want to talk like, "Oh, Luca's on this track that Trey's not on." From that vantage point of all of the kind of the nuanced areas, the the this kind of the more smaller details that really add up to whether you're winning a lot of games or not, I think they're both at exactly the same place, pretty much around around that defense, moving, being helpful. Um, you know, when you're not on ball. I think they're both in exactly the same place and took a shot at Cam Reddish, which was, I think, worthwhile at 10, you know? So I think it was, I think I'll say this, you could do a lot worse in uh GM slash PBO than, than Travis Schlank. Um, you know, I, I, I think I'm higher than you. Like I, I, I wouldn't say you could do a lot worse. I'd say it's very, very, very easy to do a lot worse. Like I think he's an an upper percentile, like an, an 80th 
80th percentile, 85th, 90th right. percentile kind of general manager. Like, I agree. It's it's risky getting rid of him. Like, I mean, maybe Landry Fields can do it. I don't know, but uh, like tr- Shank's track record is pretty good. I, I think you you mentioned the Capella thing. I I wanted to bring that up, but I, you know, to kind of tack on to that a little bit. Like, let's say that the trade decision was sort of a consensus between Travis and ownership and such. And, you know, I, who knows what, who his first, first pick was, but you know, everybody's kind of on board with that. And it kind of runs through everybody in the higher ups and all that. Travis took that and in getting somebody like Capella was just taking what he had and just really optimizing it saying, okay, if I'm going to play Trey, this is what I have to have to go with it. Um, you know, what's the kind of player you put next to him? And that's that that was exactly it. I think the one thing that maybe Travis didn't do that that could have been helpful. I think, you know, if if you go to like the Spellman draft, I think he was too hesitant to get another small guard. Um I, there were, you know, there were a lot of good small guards. He picked Spellman. I think they sold the second round pick in that draft too, and and they were good small guards. And you know, I understand the fear of, hey, you know, if you've got Trey, you know, what are you going to do with this other, you know, six foot one guard who isn't super on defense either? Um, but they needed more of that kind of player, and it would have been hard for that kind of player to develop. But I, I feel like they still should have done it and tried it and. I think they ended up with, you know, some some last gasps on Lou Williams when when they really could have done something a little more homegrown in that area. So, I think that that was maybe one where he missed. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. Um, you know, Jalen Brunson was available there. Javon Carter was available there. Um, Bruce Bruce Brown. Just kind of looking at the list there, Anthony Melton. You know, I mean, there's a lot of good players came out of the late Shake Milton. A lot of good players came out of the later part of that draft. There, the other thing is that you know it's important to note. I think that Travis believes in uh, building goodwill with other stakeholders. You know, and some like like the Carmelo deal. You know, I mean, he and Sam Presti did a lot of business together, right? Um, and, um, and you can kind of look at like, um, you know, they, they took on BJ Johnson. I'm sure he got good word for like for fully fully getting contract. I'm sure there was some Intel from Sam, you know, in that organization that was there. Troy was still there. I think maybe at the time he wasn't in Detroit yet. Um, and the Jeremy Lindell, like, well, why did the Nets get the draft pick when they were like taking on, I think it was Wilson Chandler they took on. And the Hawks didn't get that, and and you know, and I think Tra- Travis really believed in building goodwill, and that that would matter in the big picture and in the long run, that that would um, serve him well. And it maybe he needed, maybe he would need another three or four years for that to <laughs> yeah. prove out one way or the right. other, right? But that was, but it's important to note. I think yeah. that's a big part of his yeah. philosophy. And if I were in that job, I would be exactly this. That's, that's how I function. Right. With and same for agents. And, you're you're talking about opposing exactly. general managers, and I think you oh, yeah, the yeah. same same tack with agents too. Great, exactly, exactly. And like, you know, they could have put the screws to John when all the cap space, you know, kind of ran out and they didn't do that. And there's something to being 
a person, I don't know, I don't know if this still reflects on the organization or not, but being a person that people will trust, hey, that person will do right by you. That person will do right by you. You can trust that person. Not going to take advantage of you if some external factors changes. He's not going to like, you know, and I, that's how I would function in a job like that. That's how I function in my day job now is that, you know, I believe in building goodwill and good relationships and trust and those sorts of things. And a really, really competitive professional sports league, does that always work out? Probably not always, <laughs> you know, um, you know, so, but that, you know, I, 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 I think the likelihood that they get someone else that's as capable as him, like if Landry doesn't turn out to be that, I don't want to prejudge that. I, to me, my, my philosophy is always like, it's not who you get rid of. It's not who you fire. It's who you hire. It's, I mean, firing someone, getting rid of someone, that's easy. How do you replace them? Can you upgrade? Can you even find equal talent, equal capability, right. equal competency? And, that's hard. Right. And do they have... Or have they been empowered to do the job? Like, you, right. you don't want somebody who comes in who's just sort of a rubber stamp for the people above them in, in terms of ownership and management. You know, Landry might be able to do the job. Is he let to do the job? You know, that's always a big consideration, too. And and did, did Travis kind of lose his some standing because he pushed back too much? You know, it looks like that might be the case. I, I don't know. But yeah, we'll have to see. Surprise. Probably, probably hear more about it in coming in months, years, in time, for sure. I was so. Uh, the Pistons, Glenn. What do you want to say about the mighty, mighty Pistons? The mighty Pistons. Um, I mean, to me, this is a game where it's like I, I'm not even that interested in the opponent. Uh, that's not to say they're not important. They're not interesting players on the team, but. If the Hawks come in and play like they should play, they'll win the game. You know, so this comes down to do they take it serious from the beginning? Unlike the one game in Orlando where they gave up 50 points in the first quarter. Um, do, you know, are they connected, organized, uh, on plan from the beginning? Um, and are they kind of doing the constructive things? If that's the case, I think they should should win the game. Um, if they kind of uh, you know are doing something other than that, then they'll open the door for Detroit. Um, Detroit plays hard, you know, Dwayne Casey's teams always play hard. Um, and, you know, Boyan Bogdanovich will shoot you out of a game now and then, you know, and um, they have some athletic, you know, big men that, that can kind of move and get up and down the court and, um, you know, but the Hawks are the better team. And if the Hawks play to the standard they should have for themselves, in my view, they'll, they'll win the game. And so I, I don't really have anything more in depth to say than that. Yeah, I think that's that's well said. The, the Hawks are more interesting than the Pistons are. Yeah, they they are. They are. <laughs> All if, right. If, well. if, K, if, K, if K was playing, we'd have a lot more to talk about because of the trouble they had with him earlier in the year, but he's out right. for the year, so that makes it even more like more Corey Joseph and, you know, um, you know, Killian Hayes. And, Killian Hayes, yeah. <laughs> so. All right. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh tumultuous week for the Hawks. I have to hope, hope, hope for some calmer weeks ahead where we don't have to do the macro view and the micro view in the same week. Agreed. Yeah, let's I, I, let's just have some nice, pleasant basketball watching. I, I sign me up for that. All right. Have a good night. Thank you, Glenn. Thanks, Kevin.